Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Replacement Level Podcast. I am Rafal. We're back. Matt, welcome back again. We've been away from the pod for a week and a half now. Thursday was a bit of a mishap, so we couldn't get to what? We couldn't get to the pod, but we're back. And the World Series is underway and thriving right now. We're in game three. Phillies jump out to a huge lead. Somehow these Phillies are doing something magical, which the Yankees could not do, could not accomplish. The Phillies are hitting off of this threatening Astros pitching staff. They got to McCullers early. McCullers allowed his first off-speed pitch home run of the entire year. McCullers had not allowed one home run that came from his off-speed pitches, which came from the one and only Brandon Marsh, who is showing some signs of spark in this postseason, and he's heating up for the fails. So, Matt, these first two games have been wild. Looking back to game one, Game one was crazy. Phil's comeback five-run deficit. Matt, what happened to the Astros in that game? First, there are two things I don't understand in life. One, the meaning of life. Two, what the Phillies are doing. I just, this is a team that a few months ago seemed like a long shot to make the playoffs. A few months before that, they fired their manager, they were talking about, you know what, we're just going to, we're not going to rebuild, but we're kind of, maybe we're going to reset, be sellers at the trade deadline. Fast forward to early October, and they are now a few games shy of winning the World Series, their first in 2008. And it really, it all felt different in game one. Because you mentioned, the Astros jumped out to that huge 5 nothing lead. You're like, okay. We see how this is going. The team that hasn't lost in October is just, this is going to be one of the greatest teams in MLB history. They're going to cruise through everything, maybe even a a perfect run, which has never happened before. And then Justin Verlander, one of the greatest pitchers of our generation, had a no-hitter going through three, and then it all slowly, piece by piece by piece by piece fell apart. Rice Hoskins single. JT Remuto lined out, but they got Hoskins a second. Single. Single. Double. And it's, uh-oh. Is this, are these Justin Verlander World Series issues for real? But, you know what? Houston still had a lead. And then Justin Verlander returned to the mound. Double. Walk. Double. Game tied. And after that, it was just like, oh, the Phillies just have that October magic. And, you know, we saw that in game one. We're seeing it after the postponement on Monday. We're seeing that in game four with three home runs already. It's just there are some things in life you can't explain, and this feels like one of them. And for Clay, and for Justin Verlander, who is arguably the greatest starting pitcher in the past decade or so. Justin Verlander, who historically in the World Series has a 6.07 ERA. 
with a 1.9 home run per nine rate in 43 innings. We know dating back to 2006 in the World Series, he pitched in game one and game five and allowed nine combined runs between those two games. He came back in, in 2012. He allowed five runs, 17. He pitched in game two and six with Houston. He gave up five runs between those two starts. 19, pitched game two and six, gave up four runs in game two, three runs in game six. And now in 2022, in game one, he allowed five earned runs. But ironically for him, he was matched by Aaron Nola, who also allowed five runs in that game. He got hit early. As I said before, the Phillies were in a five-run deficit, and they scored six unanswered runs to secure game one. JT hits that go-ahead bomb in the ninth, in the tenth, excuse me. That was huge for Philly. That pulled them over the top. And in that game, we saw two all-star pitchers get knocked out early. Wheeler, excuse me, Verlander and Nola got booted early in that game. And then these two teams flashed their bullpens. Phillies use Alvarado Eflin, who they've relied Eflin. They've used Eflin a ton in this postseason. He's been the X factor for the Phillies. I think out of that pen, they use Suarez for winning a show, Dominguez, and D-Rob. And the Astros used Abreu, Neris, Montero, Presley, Garcia, and Stanek. Game two, we saw the Astros. They shut out Philly through Framber Valdez. Astros take game two, 5-2. Valdez, Framber Valdez, who has been an absolute stud and broke the single-season record for quality starts we know this year. He went 6 and a third with nine strikeouts, allowing just one run. And for the Astros, we saw Altuve, who is hot. And he's heating up at the right moment for the Astros. He struggled pretty much the entire postseason, went like three for 22 or something in the ALCS against the Yanks. And he had a three-hit night in game two. And that's all... That was needed for the Astros. They had three consecutive doubles off of Wheeler in the first, and then things got out of hand, and it was a catastrophic first for Wheeler. And he, he bounced back for a couple of innings, but Philly's offense stayed quiet. Astros, Valdez locked down Philly's lineup. And after game two, they head back to, to Philly for games three, four, and five. But thankfully... For the Phillies, the game was pushed off to Tuesday, which meant that Aaron Nola had another, had another day rest and he would pitch game four. I think that's something to take note of because Syndergaard would have, was slated to pitch game four if the game would have been on Monday. And since it was pushed off one day, now Nola has the opportunity to go ahead and pitch in front of his home crowd. But for Syndergaard, that's kind of a... Missed opportunity for him because he hasn't pitched since game four 
of the NLCS, and his pitch count has been quite low in this postseason. And the Astros, the Phillies haven't turned him too much. Rob Thompson hasn't turned him a ton this season in the postseason. So I'm wondering if they're ever going to use him because we know the Noah Syndergaard, we know the prime Noah Syndergaard, but does he still have that? Um, Matt, game three, are we seeing a comeback from the Astros? You know, what this feels like to me is there's just too much momentum in Philadelphia right now. You just have the fans, which, listen, Minute Maid Park had a good crowd, but Citizens Bank Park, I mean, this is, there's a Philly fanatic for a reason. These are fanatical fans. The atmosphere right now is just insane. And, you know, we've seen this already backfire in game one, but I feel like Philadelphia will come out on top with this one. But the one thing I do want to say, 2-1, that's going to be huge for Philadelphia. People will be like, hey, they have the next two at home as well. Could they, could they now be the favorites to take the World Series? One thing we do have to keep in mind, Aaron Nola, who has been dominant for so much of the year, he's been really great in October, but he's kind of slipped as of late. 11 earned runs, four home runs allowed in his last two starts. He gave up seven hits, six earned runs against San Diego. Gave up five earned against the Houston Astros. And, you know, the one thing, I'm going to mention this, this is something, you know, baseball fans need to watch out for, and it's been an issue for him the year. He is dominant when he's out of the windup. Base is empty, 199, 237, 306 slash line. Get runners on, you know, first first base, 250, 293, 426. It's not great, but it could be worse. And then you get to runners in scoring position, which is going to be crucial for the Astros in game four because opponents slashed 287, 325, 31 against them this year when runners were in scoring position. So I think there will be some opportunities for Houston, even if it loses tonight, to come back. You met, we mentioned Syndergaard, too. He has it, Game five, he has to go. Because we, we saw with Zach Wheeler, his velocity was down in his start. It was kind of concerning for Philadelphia. Rob Thompson admitted, he said, listen, when we brought him back off the injured list, we might have done it too fast. There was kind of some issues with workload here. So his velocity dips. So they've had to push him back to game six if necessary. And it seems like it's going to stay that way. So we're looking at Syndergaard for game five. And here's the thing about Noah Syndergaard. Everyone loves what he did years ago. That player's long gone. He's not missing bats. He's giving up plenty of loud contact. And just in the regular season, left-handed hit batters, 272, 324, 424. Righties, 295 on-base percentage, 256 batting average. But still, he's not a guy. He's that stellar pitcher is gone. And we're now talking about a number four starter, probably a number three on his best days. And if the Astros lineup gets hot, Hey, that's, I think that's two games Houston could quickly take. And then, look, they're going back to Houston with a 3-2 series advantage. But, but the one thing we also have to keep in mind, throwing a lot of the stats, and this is the one that really stood out the most. For all the well-known talent in the Astros lineup, that DH spot entering game three, this was the slash line for the Astros designated hitter in the entire playoffs. Point. 0.88 batting average, 179 on-base percentage, 147 slugging. 
they are giving away an automatic out to every opponent they face. And, you know, they've gotten guys that get on base, but at the H spot, it's just been costly for them. And I think if Philadelphia goes on to win all this, if Philadelphia does the unthinkable, the thing no one saw coming, there's also going to be some looking back and saying, did that DH spot cost the Astros? Just adding to what you just mentioned, Matt, about Noah Syndergaard. And I think for Syndergaard, the fact that his injury has been a concern for the past two years or so, he's dealt with that that elbow for quite some time, and that kind of impacted his fastball and the velocity. He used to hit 98 on a regular day, and he used to hit 98 consistently. But we've seen that the velocity has dropped for Syndergaard since that elbow injury. And for Rob Thompson, who likes to use those starters in the middle innings, he likes to use Zach Eflin. We've seen Eflin in a in various situations in the postseason. We've seen Thompson employ him in the ninth. We've seen Thompson employ him in the seventh. And now we see that for a guy like Syndergaard, who could have been in this position, it it might just be okay to give him the ball and try him out. Because although he's not the same Noah Syndergaard that we knew on the Mets, he doesn't have that velocity. He's not going to peak. He won't peak at 100. But he still is a major league pitcher, and he still is no. he still has that, Noah Syndergaard, which may not be the complete Noah Syndergaard, but it still is Noah Syndergaard. And I think it may be viable to turn to him for game five. For the Astros, tomorrow night, we will see Mr. Christian Javier. And against the left-handed hitting, Mr. Javier, 189 opponent average, 274 OPB, 318 slugging with a 28% K rate. First 322 batters. And for a Philly team that has that lefty that has those lefty bats on lineup, they have Stott, they have Marsh, they have Maton, they have Schwarber. And they have Harper. So they do have that mix of lefties in the lineup, which is an advantage for Mr. Javier. Against righties, in fact, he is even better against righties. 147, 225, 290, and a 39.5K rate in the regular season. And in the position as well, Javier has been rock solid. 1.35 ERA. Versus Seattle, he only won an inning, but did a lot of run in that inning. Then against the Yankees, five and a third with a five to three walk, strikeout to walk rate. So, I think in general, in the playoffs, as we know, it all comes down to timely hitting and capitalizing and coming through when it matters most. And we've seen that these two lineups can hit. We know 
what these two lineups and that we know what the, the damage that these two lineups can do. Both of these lineups have heavy power. Both of these lineups have those guys who can come through in critical situations. But again, the bullpen, the starting rotation, and all the entire pitching staff, that is huge for both of these teams because bottom line, what all comes down to is depth and how far your pitchers will go and really the health and the well-being of these pitchers because if you lose these pitchers, if they get hurt, then that really can hurt your pitching staff as a whole because each of these staffs need every single guy because everyone who they added to this team and everyone who they added to this roster contributes and can perform in the postseason and has something to contribute. So tomorrow, game four, we'll see how tonight pans out, but I'm excited for how these two teams play out their pitching schedule and who they use. I'm excited. And now we are moving on to the Gold Glove Awards, which was announced earlier today. I kind of wanted to break this down. Let's start off with the AL at catcher. Jose Trevino secures his first Gold Glove Award as a Major League catcher. Vladdy at first. Jimenez, Andres Jimenez at second. Jeremy Pena at short, the rookie. Ramon Urias, who wins it over Matt Chapman and Jose Ramirez. Urias did have more defensive runs saved than Mr. Chapman. Urias was a stud at third base this year. LeMahieu won the Utility Award. Not a surprise, LeMahieu plays every base well. In the outfield, we got Quan, who is battling for the and is a candidate for AL Rookie of the Year, Miles Straw, in center field. We know how Yankees fans treat Miles Straw because of the slur that he said about Yankees fans and how we're the worst fan base in the world. But just because we are loyal to our team doesn't mean that we're especially a bad fan base. And then Tucker steals it in right field. So I wanted just to maybe pick a few snubs from these Go Gloves right field. The finalists were JBJ, Kepler, and Tucker. I think Tucker was kind of an easy decision here because Kepler did not play the entire season. He only played 115 games, but he did lead all right fielders with 12 outs above average, while Tucker had five. But Tucker did have more experience in the outfield this year. Center field, Michael A. Taylor, I think, is a snub for center field. Taylor had 19 defensive row saves, while Straw had just 17 in center field. But what it all came down to is that Straw outperformed Taylor and outs above average 13-5, to 5, which put him above 
Mr. Taylor for the Gold Glove in center field. Left field, we had Benatendi, Quan, and Marsh. Benatendi got hurt towards the end of the year. Marsh was unclear. He went from L.A. to Philly. Didn't have a secured spot in center field. But he did have eight outs above average in left field. Third base. As we said before, Urias takes it over Ramirez and Chapman. Shortstop, Bogart and Correa were the other two. I think that Bogarts did have a good chance to win this, but the amount of errors that he committed this year kind of took away from his road to a gold glove. And then second base was Scope and Simeon. Jimenez had a spectacular year at second. That was a clear winner for Jimenez. And first base was Arise and Mr. Rizzo. And they give it to Vladdy. The NL. Matt, let's take a look at the NL. And Matt, what do we got? Yeah, you know, uh, National League. And I think one theme you also see, and yeah, because we, we, you mentioned snubs, is, and yeah, this looks at, you can go through both American League, National League. We have to consider, I think people have to remember this before we even get into who won it, is when the finals come out, is who's on the playoff teams. Because, you know, while that's not technically supposed to be factored in, it most often is. And, you know, we go through the National League, Max Reed, playoffs, JT Realmuto, playoffs. First base, Christian Walker, a rare exception. Obviously, Arizona Dimex didn't make the playoffs, but Christian Walker was just so phenomenal at first base defensively. You know, Goldschmidt, he's been great there before. Olsen, obviously, was in the American League last year, has been phenomenal there. Christian Walker, I would say, is deserving. Second base, Brendan Rodgers, who just, and one thing I do want to mention with Rodgers, is just a career trajectory where Former top prospect, then it was kind of shaky, but he's really turned some things around. Obviously, shortstop, you have Dansby Swanson. Just another guy who just had a real breakout season, and it happened at the perfect time. Because you talk about contract years, Aaron Judge had the king of all contract years. But I think Dansby Swanson really gets lost in that conversation because he was the guy that people looked at as, okay, he's he's not going to be brought back. You know, Atlanta has to upgrade there in 2023. Now they don't because Danzy Swanson's probably had for contract extension because of his breakout year. Was He was excellent defensively. He was great at the plate. So just hats off to him. And at third base, but they might as well pick this award before the season even begins because Nolan Arenado, it's just, it's his award now. He's, he's going to win it every year because he is legitimately probably one of the greatest fielders we have ever seen. Not just not only at third base, but just in general. Going on to the outfield, Ian Happ, the Chicago Cubs. This is another guy, you know, mentioned with Rodgers, former top prospect. There were struggles, but he's since he's moved to the outfield, especially in the regular field, he's been phenomenal defensively. He earned his first selection. In center field, Trent Grisham earned his second gold glove. And then right field, of course, you know, we talk about Arenado, but a younger version of this with Mookie Betts, who won another gold glove, his sixth, and he is joining some elite, elite company. This is per Eric Steven of SB Nation. Betts has become one, only the fifth outfielder under the age 
of 30 to win six gold gloves. That company, Ken Griffey Jr., all-time great. Andrew Jones, arguably the best defensive center fielder ever. A little guy named Al Kaline, Paul Blair, and then Mookie Betts. And it's just all those guys I mentioned. Ken Griffey Jr. won 10 gold gloves. Andrew Jones had six, actually had nine before age 29, finished with double digits. Al Kaline finished with 10 gold gloves. Mookie Betts, granted, there's a chance, depending on what the Dodgers do in free agency, he moves to a different position. But if he stays in the right field, we'll probably be looking at another double-digit winner. And then at utility, Brendan Donovan. I, I get it. I mean, personally, I might have gone with Tommy Edmond just because of the things he did this year. Or another favorite of mine, Dalton Varsho, who just wasn't cute. Behind the plate, fine. But his instincts in center field, instincts whenever he was put in the outfield. And again, we're talking about an Arizona team that is loaded with young outfitters, but they had to play Varsho, not only because of his power, but just his pure instincts and reactions in the outfield. You know, I think you probably could have made, made a case for him, but again, in the year with Grisham, Hap, Betts, it was kind of going to be hard. Then you had Edmund and Donovan. So I get why he didn't win it, but I do want to give a shout out to Dalton Varsho. Because on a team that very few people watched, he was a breakout player, and his defense was truly sensational. Ryan McMahon as well. We saw at third base, Nolan Renato was, of course, given that honor with the gold glove at third base. But Ryan McMahon, as you said, Brandon, Don, Brandon Rogers had a breakout season. Offensively, he average, but offensively he was average, but defensively we saw some talent there. And he definitely has some future there at third base. And I think if not for Arenado, it would it was McMahon and Hayes for the other two finalists. And I think McMahon had a good shot if not for Arenado. The one thing I will say with Hayes and Listen, this we've I just said previously this is gonna be Arenado's award for for a while just because of reputation. But if you go on total defensive run save, Nolan Arenado, nineteen, which is outstanding. It's actually nine ahead of McMahon. Cabrian Hayes had twenty four. He is even if he doesn't become the power pitter people want him to be, he is a wizard at the hot corner. He is a defensive wizard. I know people don't want to watch the Pirates because that's a bad team. But if you get the opportunity in 2023, watch him play third base because Cabrian Hayes is hes going to be... I'm telling you, people need, we're going to need to tell their children about him, pass him, because he's just, he is that good defensively at third base. It sucks that he's on the Pirates, but Cabrian Hayes... My goodness, so good. Just a little update for Game 4, Game 3 of this World Series. Philly still up 4 nothing. bottom 5. McCullers remains in the game, 69 pitches, 46 of them for strikes. He's allowed four earned runs, all three via the home run. The Astros' offense continues to remain quiet as Mr. Ranger Suarez 
Five shutout innings, four strikeouts. Jose Altuve with... had a run, two runners on, chance to do some damage, and outside of Game Two of the World Series, he has done absolutely nothing for the Astros in October. And well, it's fair to say that baseball fans outside of Houston are enjoying every single minute of this. Deja vu for Yankees postseason baseball. As you mentioned, Jose Altuve struggling. The entire Yankees lineup struggled. <laughs> Not to rip out my own stripes right here, but the Yankees offense was dead silent against the Houston pitching. And as we mentioned before, this Phillies lineup is somehow doing something right. And they're getting through these Astros pitchers. And I think one thing which gives them an advantage is the mix of handedness in their lineup. They have a nice mix of lefty and righties. And every single figure in that lineup can hit. And they all can hit the opposite way. They all can pull fairly well. They all have power. And they have that timely hitting. They have those guys. The Astros as well have have those guys. They have that power. They have Bregman. They have the young perennial talent in Mr. Pina. And Schwarber goes deep. 6 nothing Phillies. This has to be a sign for Baker, Dusty Baker, to pull Lance McCullers. That changeup off of the outer half of the plate and Schwarber barreled it to take a lead 6-0 Marsh singled the at-bat prior and now it's 6-0 Phil's bottom 5 this game is looking to go to Philly as Philly's fans are going fanatic one last thing I wanted to cover before we conclude is the flurry of management hires in the past two weeks. It's kind of been the untold story in the past two weeks. I don't think anyone has really been focusing on the management changes due to the World Series. But I think the biggest hire of this World Series, and I actually wrote an article on this earlier last week. I, was, I wrote up about... The Yankees offseason, I wrote up the case for, I think it was how Aaron Boone is still on the hot seat, despite how Steinbrenner giving him the go for 2023. I mentioned in the article that their bench coach, Yankees bench coach, Carlos Mendoza, was being was drawing interest from other teams. And I mentioned that Bruce Bocci was hired earlier this week after. The Rangers filed Woodward in mid-August, and now they turned to Bocce. And they did promote Tony Beasley, and he was the interim manager for the remainder of the season. But now they hired Bocce, who won three World Series titles with the Giants. So that's some optimism for Texas. We know the Phillies extended Rob Thompson. The Blue Jays, who... Terminated Charlie Montoya. They extended Schneider. Angels extend Phil Levin. The Marlins part ways with Mr. Mattingly, and they hire 
Skip Schumacher, Schumacher, who was the Cardinals bench coach. And the White Sox and the Royals both made management cha managerial changes early this week. Matt Quattro was hired for the Royals to replace Mike Matheny. And the White Sox are expected to hire Pedro Griffel, who is and was an assistant with the Royals for the past 10 seasons, and which would mean that Mr. Tony LaRusa, who has been in the majors and in professional baseball since day one, is stepping down due to his health issues. We know he dealt with that heart he had heart concerns early in the year, and Griffel will take over for the White Sox. So, I know that, Matt, you're not such a team central, team centric fan. I know that you don't really have a specific team that you go for, but as a Yankees fan, personally, I am not a big fan of Aaron Boone. So I kind of wanted, I kind of wanted your opinion on promoting Carlos Mendoza as the manager, or even shopping for a new manager. I want to see just your take on Aaron Boone and what the Yankees maybe should do. Yeah. So, and this is a difficult thing because listen, as someone who covers multiple sports, it feels like MLB managers get the, get the least amount of recognition. It feels like they get. At times, it feels like there's the least amount of responsibility. I think one important thing about that job is just managing a clubhouse. Look at the San Diego Padres last year. There was no control in that clubhouse. A talented team didn't even make the playoffs. You bring in Bob Melvin. It's all clicking. Even without Fernando Tastis Jr., they go to the NLCS. So you see the importance of a manager, someone who can guide a mix of young players, veterans, and so with the Yankees, it's it's complicated because you see the rumors. You see, oh, could it be Don Mattingly? And that is not a hire I would make. You know, one guy who I've always been very interested in is Joe Espada, the Houston Astros uh, bench coach. But the opportunity just hasn't been there for him. Maybe that would be an opportunity in New York if the Yankees thought, you know what, it is not working out with Boone. But again, the other thing you could say with the Yankees is they've kind of gone through a few managers now and it hasn't all worked out so maybe it's not the managers in the dugout maybe it's another thing that's a the problem with that organization or the roster itself and i think in this postseason we've seen the mistakes that boone has made in this postseason and there have been some concerning moves that Mr. Boone has conducted. And I'm kind of, I'm not so optimistic that Boone is the right manager. You said that the Yankees have gone through quite an amount of managers in the past 10 years or so. They've gone through Girardi. They've gone through Boone. So at this point, I'm not sure if it's the management, but I'm hoping that Boone and the Yankees can go somewhere next season. We'll see what happens. But I'll just hope for the best. We'll be back next week, Wednesday, again, 
the World Series will be over by then, and we're going to have some fun in this offseason. We're going to give you guys some interesting topics this offseason. We're going to cover Hall of Fame cases. We're going to cover farm systems from different teams, local teams. I'm going, We're going to, to I'm going to tear apart the unwritten rules brick by brick. <laughs> I think that's that, that'll definitely be something that we can argue about. Um and it should be fun. And I'm excited. So Reese Hoskins go ahead and hit that fifth home run off Lance McCullers to give Philly 7-0 lead. And Matt I think it's time to close out this game and give this game three to the Phillies. Agreed. So we will see you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this episode and see you next week.